0: Who wants to talk sports? We do. It's a Thursday afternoon, and from our studios in San Diego. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co host, John Riley. We welcome you to Hacksaw's Headlines, our weekly Thursday get together. And, John, we got a ton of topics on the table headlined by the NFL, what's going on on the field, and even more amazingly, what's happening to coaches
1: off the field. Lots to cover. I mean, yeah, you you share with me the headlines, and you've got a bucket load of topics on the table. So where do we start?
0: Let's start with Charger football, because that's still a hot point of conversation in San Diego, in Los Angeles, and actually around the National Football League. The Chargers get knocked out of the playoffs by Jacksonville. They give them a gift victory. The aftermath of that, the head coach keeps his job, but he fires three assistant coaches including his offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi. I'm surprised. I'm not surprised that Brandon Staley is still the head coach because I never once bought into the theory that his job was in jeopardy. I am surprised that he would hit the eject button on his trusted right-hand guy who helped create the quarterback. I just don't understand how you rationally tell people and explain to the fans and explain to the players why you fired an offensive coordinator, John, whose quarterback had 9,500 yards passing in just the last two seasons with all these problems around him, him being Justin Herbert. Uh, Brandon Staley's press conference was, was point on. He answered all the tough guy questions. He talked extensively about the vision of what he wants his offense to be. Uh, he did not want to use the injuries to the offensive line and the wide receivers as excuses as to why joe lombardi 's offense was so hit and miss uh, they want They want an offense that 's going to be an offensive line type line of scrimmage offense, which means they're going to move people. He wants an explosive chunk offense that also includes chunk yardage running the football. He wants speed at wide receivers, which I tend to think they have to go get. They got to get separation. They got need better defensive line play. But at the end of the day, he fires his offensive coordinator, who is kind of the creative architect, to help that quarterback along. So, I'll stand up. I'll be the first to say I don't agree with the handling of the Joe Lombardi situation. I think these guys should have stayed in pact uh, for another year, try to get everybody healthy, and be what they could be. They ambushed a lot of people that first year that Brandon was head coach. This year, they were hot. They were cold. They staggered. Yes, they won 10 games. They wound up finishing at, at where they did at 10-8 and eight with a playoff loss. They only beat one team that had a winning record. Nobody, nobody talks about that at all. So at this point, I don't really know how good a franchise it is, but statistically, they've done so much. I don't know why the coordinator had to be jettisoned out of here. He better not make a mistake on the next guy. That is for certain, because these coaches that he fired were all his handpicked guys and have only been there two years. And normally you give assistants a longer chunk of time.
1: You know, we debated whether or not Staley should have been kept as the coach, right? But it seems like Spanos retained Staley, but... Now it seems like the you know Lombardi's just the scapegoat, don't you think?
0: I tend to think so because I wrote a column on my website scapegoat or solution. I tend to think scapegoat at this point in time. These coaches can be blamed for play calls For player decisions, they can't be blamed for injuries and they can't be blamed for the makeup of the roster, which I tend to think had some flaws and some deficiencies here, but they're unified because Staley had his long season ending press conference. Tom Telesco had his earlier on Thursday. And they're kind of united that we need to change the concept of who we are to take the next step forward. They've made great strides. There's no doubt about the fact that that is a superstar quarterback. Got to put the good people around him, but... I guess you and I don't agree on this. I think they should have retained Lombardi, gone one more year, gotten more pieces of the puzzle in the mm-hmm. box, getting everybody in the
1: box totally healthy, and then see how good they could be. Yeah, well, right now the Chargers are just a disgrace. I mean, the, the fans are down on them. The, the, the coaching staff is, up, is being flipped on its ear. Um, so the future of this franchise should be really interesting.
0: Tell you what, I think it's the most marquee offensive coordinator's job that's probably out there right now, because of Justin Herbert. So we will see where this thing goes. But the conversation is just not about Brandon Staley and what happened to Joe Lombardi. It was another segment of the conversation. Question
1: two. Question two is it, it's, it comes down to the Spanos family, to Dean Spanos. What's going on with his? With his track record as a, as a owner in the NFL.
0: Well, if you go back and look at these numbers, I mean, they're right there in neon lights. You, you can't avoid the history of Charger football since they bought the franchise in 1984. Uh, you know, they've owned it for 36 years. They've had only 16 winning seasons. and They've gone through 12 head coaches. I mean, they fired a coach who led their team to the Super Bowl. They fired their coach who had them in the playoffs all those years and was fourteen and two the year he got fired. I'm talking about Bobby Ross first, talking then about Marty Schottenheimer. Uh, you know, it's just it's it's a sub five hundred record. They've not been really competitive on a year-in, year-out basis uh, in terms of being good in the AFC West. They went to the one Super Bowl and got nailed on a record-setting performance by San Francisco's Steve Young. Historically, they've been cheap uh, in terms of what they pay their head coach Uh, I I think there's an issue here about the aggressiveness of the organization, and that falls on the general manager. Who's the president of football operations? The owner's son, John Spanos, who has gifted that job. Did he earn it? No, I don't think so. Uh, Between Spanos and Tom Telesco, who've come in together simultaneously as president of ops and as general manager, the composite record is now 81 and 87 since those guys took over. So I think there's there's a, a history here, of what kind of owner is this? You know, this owner and his people, led by his son, hired Mike McCoy, fired Mike McCoy, hired Anthony Lynn, fired Anthony Lynn, now have hired Brandon Staley. Uh, they fired those two coaches I alluded to. They fired a Hall of Fame general manager and Bobby Bethard. So please explain to me the track record of Dean Spanos and his first family of football.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's not attractive. <laughs> and it's interesting how some franchises have such stellar leadership, consistency over a long period of time. But the Chargers are just so erratic. They've been cursed for so long. Things seem to always go wrong. You have to really look at to the very top of the of the org chart. It really has to fall on the on the shoulders of the owner.
0: When you're saying look at those franchises, I assume You're representing a franchise in area code 412, owned by the Rooney family. Yes. The Pittsburgh Steelers who had a level of excellence that has really hardly ever dropped off. Right. They've had three head coaches, Mm -hmm. three head coaches since the 1970s with Chuck Knoll through Cower, through Tom, three head coaches. It's incredible. And how incredible is their record compared to the Chargers?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a huge difference. And and you see this in a lot of other, even in other sports, like the St. Louis Cardinals are just a really solid baseball franchise. And you look at around the league, across a lot of professional teams, the Chargers, in many ways, are are sort of laughable in the eyes of some of the fans out there. They always seem to find a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory absolutely amazing
0: they're not the only team in los angeles though uh that's kind of in the headlights right now and in the headlines let's talk about the team on the other side of town
1: yeah so sean mcveigh decided to stick around which was some of this ongoing soap opera there in la so how's it all gonna you know shake out in inglewood there
0: well it's gonna shake out with new people in that organization by by the draft he may be down eight assistants they fired a flurry of assistance this week. They may lose another one. The defensive coordinator, Raheem Morris, may exit to take a head coaching job somewhere else. They lost their offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen, who decided to leave and go back to the University of Kentucky in the Southeastern Conference. And then Sean McVeigh fires his maybe most, most experienced assistant coach, his special teams coordinator, Joe Camillus. And they fire their offensive line coach and they fire a linebacker coach. I mean, uh, they got guys coming and going. Uh, McVeigh's got a real challenge ahead. He's got to get his team healthy. He believes they will be healthy. But now he's, he's got to fill in all these key positions. You know, By next week, he may be shy of all three of his coordinators. And those are the second most important people on their staff, aside from the head coach. Right. If Raheem Morris leaves with a special teams guy having been fired and the offensive coordinator going back to the Southeastern Conference... I mean, we're looking at a whole new brain trust behind that organization. So it's it's really, to me, it's shocking that an organization that had such success in a short period with Sean McVay would
1: blow this thing up
0: from an infrastructure standpoint. That's my spin. What's yours? It's
1: interesting how we talked about how they were going to have to rebuild the roster. Now they've got to rebuild the coaching staff. I mean, how many assistant coaches do most NFL teams carry?
0: Well, they carry usually 12 key Administrative coaches, and then there's a support staff underneath. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, we've had five head coaches get fired so far this season. So that's five head coaches, twelve assistants, uh, all varying degrees on the organizational chart, and then a bunch of administrative assistants who work with their lead assistants. So I mean, we're talking probably eighteen staff members get bounced. When Denver makes their decision, Indy makes their decision, Houston fires their coach, Arizona, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of names that are all interconnected as part of that head coach's staff. So uh, I'm, I'm really surprised about the Sean McVay situation. Let's talk about the guys out there is going to get a job. I don't know how quickly. I'm not quite sure where.
1: Who do you want to ask the next question about? Well, well Sean Payton, we were talking about maybe as a potential candidate for the Chargers. And I was reading that he actually covets that Charger opportunity. But um, now he seems to be interviewing with some of the other teams. Sean Payton
0: is a hot commodity out there. And I think when that domino falls, then all the others will fall. Sean Payton interviewed for four hours on Tuesday morning with Denver Bronco officials in Los Angeles. He completed an interview with the Houston Texans. We're led to believe there's an interview coming in Arizona. And David Tepper, the Carolina owner, has indicated after one brief meeting, he wants to bring him back for a true formal interview with everybody in the organization. There's a lot of angles to the story. One, he's asking tons of money. I've been told in excess of $10 million a year just for him. Two, he wants to bring his whole football group of guys with him, his staff. Three, he wants player, personnel, control, decision-making, power, which to me is that that's a a tough call because that means the owner has to go tell his current general manager, you work for Sean Payton. You don't work for me. You're working under him. That becomes a big issue. And then the, the fourth item in the equation is the story that is swirling out there now is that the New Orleans Saints, who still have him under contract, want big compensation. I was told initially it was a number one pick. Now I've been told it's two number ones because New Orleans, John, has looked back at the prices clubs paid to hire John Gruden. When Tampa wanted John Gruden from the Raiders, they paid two number ones and two number twos. And when Belichick and Parcells jumped back and forth on the eastern seaboard between New England, the Giants, the Jets... There was compensation involved there, too. So suddenly, New Orleans has looked at what these other teams paid for marquee coaches. And New Orleans says, we want two number ones. Might be a number one this coming year, might be a number one four years down the road. But that's a gold standard price to pay for a head coach like Sean Payton. Um, I'm not quite sure where he's going to wind up, although I was told uh, by a reporter in Denver that he's going back in for another interview with the Walton family. So that that means if you're having the second interview, that maybe you're going to be the guy. And there's a a story out there uh, that Russell Wilson called Sean Payton after the first interview on Tuesday in Los Angeles. And Payton and Wilson seem to have set up a line of communication. I get the sense that Russell Wilson wants Sean Payton to be his head coach, and maybe Wilson carry some clout. So maybe Peyton is coming into the AFC
1: West. Your turn. Well, you, you say $10 bucks a year, right? But isn't that what the disgrace John Gruden got when he uh, was the coach of the Raiders? Yes. That's what the Davis family finally agreed to pay him. So they've already set the benchmark there. So he's asking for the same thing. If I were in his shoes, I'd be asking for at least that, You know, especially with his track record as a coach and the respect he has around the league.
0: I think the other sidebar stunning thing to me is... And New Orleans' president and general manager, Mickey Loomis, praises Sean Payton to the hilt. How come they didn't bring him back? If if Payton wants to come back and coach, why would New Orleans not bring him back? I mean, the guy that got in there does not have any track record of success at all. You know, I don't think Dennis Allen has had a winning season anywhere in his career. As a head coach with Raiders, or obviously this year when New Orleans went 7-10, why would the Saints not bring Sean Payton back? Or maybe Sean Payton says, I've done as much as I can do organizationally. I need a change of address. I need a breath of fresh air. Or I need a new group to lead. So shall be interesting. All right, before we talk about the games coming up on the weekend, John, uh, let's tell everybody on our live stream how they can subscribe, where they can go get information, get the alerts for our thursday podcast and what we do on bonus monday
1: all right so just to tell you all if you're on the live stream now you could participate in the uh fans forum segment just type in your question or comment for hacksaw on youtube or on facebook and yeah if you're if you're watching on the live stream you know if you like what we're doing give it a thumbs up that kind of helps the algorithm gets hacksaw more exposure on the internet and it's all good um and if you um want to subscribe you can go on the YouTube channel subscribe there and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll get the alerts during the week
0: when we add things to our podcast and by the way as a side story if you like what we did on Sports Talk Radio in Southern California I think you'll like my website it's all written I write on it every night just go to lee hacksaw hamilton Dot com you'll find the best 15 minutes in sports hacksaws headlines one man's opinion column my pro football notebook there's a ton of stuff to read every day
1: in addition to what we do here with our podcast on we go let's talk games yeah so last week was the wild card games and those were exciting but this divisional weekend i know is usually considered the best weekend of the entire nfl season
0: Big boy football, no doubt about that. What game do you want to start with here?
1: All right. Well let's let's take a look here and we'll start with the game that was canceled you know, a few weeks ago. Let's go and talk about the, the the Bengals and the Bills. Buffalo is at home. Big issue here. Is Buffalo great? Yes.
0: Offensively. Is Buffalo tremendous defensively? You better believe it. The turnovers. The turnovers have really become the big topic on the Niagara frontier of quarterback Josh Allen, and he continues to turn the football over at a rather alarming rate. <laughs> Cincinnati rolls in here. This is a real deal team that's grown into starting with a lot of young players. Joe Cool, Joe Burrow is having a phenomenal statistical year throwing the ball. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Taj Boyd. He's got three really good receivers. They play hard. Now they're beat up in the offensive line. They've lost their left tackle with a dislocated kneecap it's a big blow losing Jonah Williams and they got problems at right guard and at right tackle and they're not running the ball very well because Burrow's throwing the ball so very well and they're going to face a Buffalo team that is just absolutely devastating on defense so I'm, I'm intrigued to see because somewhere along the way these turnovers of Josh Allen is is pulling off, they're going to catch up to you at this level. Does it start this weekend? Because he's really lived on the dangerous side. He had three turnovers last week, two picks Mm -hmm. and another fumble along the way. So I I think that's a huge question. Josh Allen, i just glanced into my notes here so I get it correct. 4,635 yards passing, 38 touchdowns, but he's got 22 turnovers this season. And he's taken a pile of sacks. But that's offset by the fact that his boys – 54 offensive touchdowns this season they are really good and really dangerous down the field and of course that that buffalo defense they got 29 takeaways they got 44 sacks uh they're just really tough to go down the field without turning the football over and in terms of joe burrow uh you know they're red hot Uh, They've won eight in a row. They've won 10 of their last 11. He's thrown for over 4,600 yards. He's got 36 touchdowns. He's taken 48 sacks, and he's lining up against a really good Bills physical force pass rush. I think this is going to be a challenge. Cincinnati statistic nobody talks about third down conversions 49% conversion rate I mean the average in the NFL is like 41 and they're at 49% and that's pretty much with a one-dimensional throw it down the field offense so what a great matchup so I don't know are you alarmed at Josh Allen's turnovers or do you accept that because they got 54 touchdowns and they just go up on the field up and down the
1: field on everybody I mean he just has a lot of great receivers to throw the ball to and it's an exciting fun offense to watch but I remember that fumble he got walloped in the backfield there in the Dolphins game, and that ball squirted around, and they ended up what? They brought it back into the end zone, didn't yep. they, on that one, on that play? So, um, yeah, so he, he's these quarterbacks still are still they're young men, they're in their mid twenties, right? So they their experience level, you know, they're in the NFL is a whole lot different than college. He's a stud, and there's no doubt about it. I'm picking Buffalo to win, and you? I'm going with Cincinnati on this game. You're obstinate about everything. Okay, let's go into <laughs> the next game. Pick one for me. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about the, the, the Chiefs because they were the number one seed going in, and the Jaguars kind of slid past the, uh, the Chargers. And now we've got another, you know, David versus Goliath matchup.
0: Kansas City's won 10 of their last 11. Jacksonville's feeling really good about themselves. Jags have won six straight, and they've won seven of their last eight, which is pretty impressive. Kansas City comes off the bye week, and that's huge in terms of everybody getting their sea legs back, everybody who is Nick getting healthy, and then you just look at the statistics. Patrick Mahomes' record as a starter in Kansas City is seventy-two and nineteen. Think about that. Wow, seventy-two and nineteen. And I, I'll just ask the question to Jacksonville: Who are you going to defend? Who are you going to defend, Mahomes, Kelsey, the quartet of wide receivers, the little running back Pacheco? Who are you going to defend? Are you going to spy him? Are you going to blitz him? And I go back to early in the season when Brandon Staley, the Charger coach, in describing Patrick Mahomes says, you defend to break his play down, and then he breaks containment after you've broken his play and makes a play downfield after he's broken your heart. (laughs) And it it goes on and on and on, and and it happens. Uh, It's a really, really good Kansas City team. Averaging 413 yards per game. They're hitting on 49% of the third-down conversions. uh, In four divisional games in his career, Patrick Mahomes is 4-0, 9 touchdowns, no picks in 4 divisional games. As we just talked about division football is big boy football. Mm-hmm. Uh I mean his statistics are just absolutely staggering. And I, I does Jacksonville try to slow Kansas City down? Or does Jacksonville just try to keep up with Kansas City and chuck it down the field and hope they can make enough plays? I I don't I don't know how you how you match up with the Kansas City Chiefs.
1: Well, I think Andy Reid is going to have a game plan. They're going to be prepared. They're the number one seed. They had the week off. You think they were uh, in pads over the week, kind of ba- banging into each other? I know no. that was your criticism of the Chargers. No, they were doing the creative
0: fun. genius the, stuff. Yeah. I'll
1: guarantee you that. Yeah. So the 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 Chiefs are going to be loaded, and Mahomes is just such an exciting young player he's a lot of fun to watch so um, you know it, it was it's great seeing trevor lawrence grow as a quarterback but now he, arguably mahomes the top quarterback in the whole league and we got student teacher in this matchup
0: andy Reid had doug peterson on a staff way back in the day it's going to be fun uh, jacksonville has now learned what it's like to play in postseason play and postseason playoffs is such a a different animal than week three or week 12 or whatever <laughs> Jacksonville's road ends this week at Arrowhead. I'm picking Kansas City. You're going to be obstinate. You're going to agree.
1: No, well, you have to go with the <laughs> with the Chiefs on this game. But, okay. you know, we'll, we'll see how the Jaguars do. Hopefully it's a competitive game. Okay, on we go. Let's go to the NFC. Okay, so we're going to go to the, this matchup of the, the Giants and the Eagles. You know, so this should be kind of interesting because Daniel Jones showed us something last week.
0: Daniel Jones has showed us a lot. And I was, an, I was a non-believer because I thought, okay, Cinderella's carriage has gotten this far, but the wheels are going to fall off. Well, the wheels did not fall off. And the Giants punched the Minnesota Vikings in the mouth. Philadelphia's coming off a bye week, and this is huge. Because you got Jalen Hurts, another full week to get the injured shoulder healthy. Lane Johnson, who's had a core injury, their star Pro Bowl superstar right guard, is, mm. is healthier and he's going to play. And all those wide receivers led by Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown have had a week to rest their legs. So you talk about somebody that really needed a, a bye week, they got it, Philadelphia. And they're hitting on all cylinders. And, you know, we, you and I, we talk occasionally about, I throw these statistics at you. <laughs> Here's a stat that nobody Is talked about, Philadelphia's got 70 quarterback sacks. 70? Wow. Think about that. So Daniel Jones has had a great season. Uh, Saquon Barkley is a heavy-duty running back. Giants, I think, collectively have overachieved. They've gone from four wins to playing the following year in the divisional series. I just don't see how they can keep up with everything that Philadelphia's got because the Eagles run it. Jalen Hurts throws it. Jalen Hurts runs it. Their defense just goes after your quarterback. Uh, it's a complete Philadelphia Eagles team, and they had the best record in the NFC because they earned the best record in the NFC, and they dominated a ton of people along the way in the NFC. So I I gotta believe that this this is going to be a landslide for Philadelphia. Uh, And I I think the bye week for them has been more important than a bye week for anybody else in football.
1: Yeah, well, I think the Eagles should be at least a touchdown favorite for this game. But you remember, if you roll the clock back like 30 or 40 years ago, do you remember that the NFL used to kind of mess around with the brackets in the playoffs so divisional teams would not face each other exactly. until they got to the conference championship, but they kind of threw that one out the window, but it's interesting how the NFC is shaping up where we've got two of those intra-division matchups at this uh, for this weekend.
0: So you're wearing green or you're going to wear Giants blue this weekend? Who wins?
1: Well, the, the Eagles are just going to roll, you know, so uh, the fans will find something to boo, but the Eagles, Eagles are going to win.
0: Okay, let's talk about the other game in the NFC. Quote, no place for the timid
1: yeah this is going to be great how many fantastic 49er cowboy games have there been in NFL history I mean going back to Roger Staubach and John Brody in the early 70s and of course the catch in 1981 with Montana and Clark I mean so many great memories even in the 90s there were some great matchups with Troy Aikman Steve Young years now it's a whole new era how dazzling was Dak Prescott in that Monday night win, 25 for 33, and he had
0: three drop passes. I mean, he was razor sharp, and he throws four touchdown passes along the way. Uh, You look at the makeup of Cowboy football, and although I don't think they've run the ball very consistently nor well this year, gee, they got a lot of guys that catch the ball. And the unsung heroes are their tight ends. they got two big tight ends that catch a ton of passes that nobody talks about. Everybody talks about C.D. Lamb and then Michael Gallup, the other kid. But, boy, Dak, Dak just came blazing out of the gates last week, and he was just un- unstoppable. And then, of course, the conversation has to involve Dallas's defense. And, I mean, the Cowboys are not getting as much recognition, I don't think, defensively as they probably should. But they got 56 sacks, and they got 34 takeaways, and their their front is so active. And where is Micah Parsons? <laughs> <laughs> you you better account for Micah Parsons because he may be the, the elite pass rusher in the National Football League, and he plays all over. They line him up inside as a defensive tackle, and he's so undersized to be a tackle, but he's so quick he can't block the guy. Uh, Dallas, Dallas is really complete. And San Francisco, boy, has this thing come together. And that kid quarterback, the last pick in the draft, what a spectacular season he's having. Frisco's won 11 straight. He's won six in a row as a starting quarterback he doesn't make mistakes he doesn't put the ball in places he should not put the ball in and this is a raw rookie from Iowa State you'd think he'd get he'd catch up to him he'd wake up one morning and realize holy cow I'm in the playoffs am I in trouble but he's not in trouble because he's got Christian McCaffrey and now they got Elijah Mitchell the heavy duty back back off uh, surgery and they got Debo Samuel and they got uh, Brian Alyuk. And then they got George Kittle, who's healthy. He's catching everything. Uh, And their offensive line is rock solid. They may have the healthiest offensive line in the entire National Football League. I don't think any of their guys have missed a game this season. And then that defensive front and what they got at linebacker. And then, obviously, the guys in the secondary. I mean, San Francisco is as good as Dallas is. Uh, I I think Dak has the edge over Brock Purdy in terms of quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. But, boy, you look at the skill positions. Frisco may have the better complete skill positions, led by CMC McCaffrey, uh, compared to what Dallas has got, and both play really, really good defense. You know, I hate to say maybe this is a field goal kickers contest. contest. Oh, because I, I, I think the quarterbacks are going to have a really tough time with the pass rush. Uh, but it's uh, this is going to be a marquee game for sure in the NFC Finals. Um, who to pick? I'll pick San Francisco because I just I just think they are in such a role, and it's not sexy to play the kind of football they play because they bang it. And it's not sexy to play the kind of defense they play because they go get it. I'll pick Frisco over Dallas. Now, you can argue with me on this. You got five seconds to stand up and tell me
1: what you think. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm a Niner fan, so I'm all in on the 49ers. You know that. But, uh, you know, you say this could be a close game, could come down to field goal kickers. That Dallas kicker, There's, we got some trouble there. Yeah,
0: sidebar story: This Brent Mar thing. There's a lot of lot of conversation. First of all, they have signed a veteran kicker to come in. They may carry two kickers on the roster. Uh, they just signed Tristan Vesciano. Uh, he's bounced around the league. Actually, he was with the Chargers for a while. Uh, he's 11 for 12 in field goals uh, in the last couple of years. He has come in. They may carry two kickers. There's the special teams coach, uh, John Fosse was asked. What's the explanation to what happened to Brett Maher on, on the weekend? And he said two, there were two things that were going on. One, they have a special cable that the kickers use, and there's there's three balls that are in the Cowboys' bag. Well, two of them were kicked, wound up in the stands, and were not returned. So they had to use a different cable that had not been used before. They said that might have been an issue. There's another issue that the holder— takes a blade of white grass and puts it right where the ball is supposed to be spotted. The officials interjected and said, you can't take something off the sidelines and put it as a marker on the field. Oh. So that this story just came out this morning that they refused to allow the Cowboys, Cowboys have been doing it all year, they refused to allow the Cowboys to take this white marker put it down. It must be like a piece of plastic grass. Mm-hmm. Put it down so the holder, when he takes the snap, will set it down in direct line to where the white thing is. NFL said you can't do that, so he did not have his quote marker. Now, I don't know if that's a lame excuse or if that's reality <laughs> or the loss of the K-ball's got something to do with it, but that's why Brett Maher missed four kicks along the way, and he's been rock solid. Jesus! He's, been, he's really been good, but he wasn't good last week. You wonder about the psyche of the kicker.
1: Well, maybe at least they won't allow a snowplow to kind of yeah. clear the, the, the plane for the kicker. But uh, yeah, this is just going to be an epic matchup from head to toe. I think we're all really looking forward to this game.
0: Uh, one, one college football note. Let's talk about the situation at San Diego State. Uh, they're going to hit the reset button here. Brady Hoke is going to try to fix his offense. Uh, hiring, firing, and retiring. Those are the three words up in Montezuma Mesa this week. San Diego State has lost veteran coach Jeff Horton. He's announced his retirement. Long-time uh, offensive coordinator, long-time running back coach. He's announced his retirement. Ryan Lindley has been elevated Uh, Came in as quarterback coach at midseason when they had the shakeup last year. He has now been named the offensive coordinator, so he'll continue to work with quarterback Jalen Maiden. Uh, They have fired their wide receiver coach, Hunky Cooper. Uh, There's a wide variety of reasons why that probably happened. Uh, they were concerned that the message had gotten stale. They were concerned that he was very unhappy with the play calling and second-guess Jeff Heklinski along the way. So there's a whole bunch of things going on there uh, with San Diego State. So as as we sit here on our podcast Thursday, Aztecs need an offensive coordinator, need a quarterback coach, need a running back coach and need a wide receiver coach, and need a defensive line coach, because Justin Ina has gone home to take a job on the BYU staff. So Brady's hit the reset button. He's got some tough decisions to make. Better make the right decisions.
1: Sounds a little bit like what Sean McVay is going to be dealing with. But the, the, the outpouring of love for the wide receiver coach, Cooper, online and social media was really strong. A lot of current and former players really standing up for the guy. So, yeah, I want to learn a little more about how all that went down, but... Um, you know, Hoke has to make some changes, um, and I, it's kind of, it's a neat story, you know, to to see the former quarterback come in as the offensive coordinator, and it's, you know, when he came on board, suddenly, you know, Jalen Maiden was a lot more productive as quarterback. Yeah,
0: and he's a smart guy. I mean, he threw for over 12,000 yards. He kind of rewrote the Aztec football record book, and San Diego State's had a history of a lot of really good quarterbacks going back in lineage to the Don Coryell Division II era. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Ryan, Lin- Ryan Lindley has earned this. And the other thing is he went back after his NFL career was over. He played four years in the league as a backup and he got hurt. Uh, he went back to graduate school, and he got his degree. He got his master's degree. And then he went out, and, and he's learned from three different teams, offense and defense. I mean, he was with Mike Leach at Mississippi State when the phone call came would you consider coming home here and be our quarterback coach? And Mike Leach let him out of his deal uh, to go. And, of course, before that, he was with Cleveland Browns. So he's, he's kind of earned this opportunity. Good kid. Smart guy. So we'll, we'll see where this goes. And sidebar note, I, I have to tell you this funny story. You know where I went to school. Ohio, oh, yeah. Ohio University, right? the Ohio Bobcats, Bobcats. our colors Bob, are green and white. Bobcats. San Diego State has just signed a contract to play Ohio University opening game of the season this fall, Snapdragon Stadium. Oh, that must have just broke that news. Yeah, so do you think I should wear my Ohio <laughs> U hoodie to one of Brady Hook's press conferences? Yeah,
1: I think you should do it. Just show up um, one, one weekend and, and kind of blow his mind. As much as I like the coach, as much as I have respect
0: for the football program and wanted to see do good. Blood is thicker than water and I think I'll be wearing green and white the weekend the Aztecs play my... Ohio Bobcats. Okay, before we move on, other topics on the table in a minute. Tell the people about Fans Forum and how
1: we want those on the uh, live stream to get involved. All right, so get involved. You know, you just got to type in your question or comment for Hacksaw on either the Facebook or YouTube live stream. We'll see it up here on our screen. We'll get you involved in the Fans Forum segment. You know, Lee, when we... we break up our podcast into all the little segments and spread them out over the week. The Fans form segment usually does really well. I think a lot of the fans that are watching the recorded version of the podcast just like seeing the interactivity with the audience.
0: Okay. Fans form will be the final
1: thing we do today. And today's a really, really busy day. Let's go to baseball. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, this is big news here in San Diego. This kid they signed, Ethan Salas, is just he's 16, but he's just so mature, and this he, apparently the talent is just oozing out of this guy.
0: The number one pick in the international rankings by Baseball America, Ethan Salas, six foot two, one hundred eighty-five pound, sixteen-year-old catcher. Think about that. Five point six million dollar record signing bonus contract by the Padres. Usually, when you sign a young Caribbean player, you will send him back. the Dominican Summer League, and that's where he will play his first summer of organized ball, because all those kids are about the same age bracket. Padres are not doing that. Padres think so much of this young man. They're bringing him in, and he will play in the Arizona Summer League, which is a combination of draft picks, high school kids, top college kids. This will be a 17-year-old next summer playing at the highest rookie level. That you can play. He's gifted. Is he going to make it here? Well, it might be four or five years down road. They paid a phenomenal price, but A.J. Preller has been given a blank check, and he's overspent that blank check that had such a good history of signing kids and getting them into the system. Not many have made it here because a bunch of them turned out to be trade chips to go get deals. But think about that, a 16-year-old kid that they think so much of, and he's bilingual. They think so much of him that they're going to start him in the Arizona Summer League, which is a much higher level of competition.
1: Well, he's already playing with with pros in the Venezuelan League, right? Right. Um, So this guy has been around the top level of talent. He can clearly handle himself from a maturity perspective. I think this is just really exciting, especially since so much of the, the depth of the farm system has been traded away. Now they're replenishing.
0: On we go. Let's talk about controversy in Major League Baseball. Because if it involves an agent, it probably involves this guy, Scott Boros. And it definitely involves that shortstop, Carlos Correa, who's now back in Minnesota. Correa signs the contract with the Twins after rejecting what the Twins offered before free agency started. Scott Boros just had a meltdown. He ripped the New York Mets organization for how they handled the Correa contract. The history, Correa signed or agreed to a 13-year deal with the San Francisco Giants. Giant doctors did not like the physical exam and the x-rays on a previously broken fibula and ankle problems. They pulled the contract off the table. Scott Boros overnight delivered Carlos Correa to the New York Mets. That would have been a 12-year deal. The Mets did not like what they saw on the reports of the physical exam. They went back to Boris and said, We're cutting the offer fifty percent. We'll give you six years guaranteed. After that he's got to pass our option to get the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth year, etc. Boris did not like what he heard there, then Boris delivered him back to the Twins where he signed a six-year deal with options. The options are he has to pass a physical every year. Uh, If he gets so many at-bats every year and there's no ankle problems, the option will vest and he'll get the seventh year, the eighth year, etc. But going out the door, Scott Boris said, the Mets were given the opportunity to do their due diligence on this health thing. The Mets did not go outside to get other opinions. All the Mets did was get the report from the Giants doctors and read that and said, no, we're not doing that. Since when do clubs share information like that on players they're competing with?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I'm sorry. Does the word collusion kind of take effect in this conversation? Is there something going to happen now with Scott Boros in Major League Baseball? The Giants and Mets collude not to pay this guy what they promised to pay this guy. This could be messy beyond what we've already experienced. Uh, so Boris was very critical that the that the New York Mets did not go get independent second opinions. All they did was get the medical report from the doctor the Giants took him to, read that, and said, no, we're we're not going to give you 12 years, etc. So that's that's where we are with that story. We'll see how long Correa holds up. Boris, we'll see if he goes after Major League Baseball in some type of collusion, because I've never heard clubs sharing medical reports on a player they were both in on.
1: Well, yeah, usually it's, uh, you know, there's people accuse of general managers of shenanigans with the medical reports going back and forth. Um, but I was surprised that the Mets just even doing their own due diligence, that they wouldn't have gone to another independent um, you know, evaluator of this. So if, if for anything, they could at least confirm what was done by the Giants or maybe get some, a different perspective on the issue. Uh, but, you know, he's back in Minnesota. At least the Twins fans are happy.
0: Trust me, I don't think we've heard the end of this. We haven't heard the end of the next topic. This is really interesting. And I guess we'll we'll pose this question to people on the fans forum. Do you like Major League umpiring? Do you want balls and strikes to be automated through a computer? Because that's what we might have happen next. Baseball is going to invoke the use of computers in what they call the ABS system, automatic balls and strikes, in AAA games this year. They will experiment. Half the ballparks in AAA baseball, under the Rob Manford proposal, will use a computer system to call balls and strikes. They'll be like robo-umps, mm-hmm. all right? The other half of the stadiums will use the computers to judge balls and strikes, but only if a manager doesn't like the call at the plate, he can invoke one of three challenges in a game. So if it's strike three where the base is loaded and it'll look like a bad call, the manager said say challenge, they go look at it and see. So the question is, if this works in AAA... Is this going to be a year from now, opening day, Fenway Park, Dodger Stadium, Petco Park, Yankee Stadium, every stadium in baseball? Are we going to have robo-umps? So the burning question, John, do you like the idea? They're using the same computers and graphics and video that they use in pro tennis. Mm -hmm. Is the ball in, on the line, out, etc.? Do you like this idea for balls and strikes? Or are you so fed up with the Angel Hernandez of the world and the moving strike zones and the inconsistency of balls and strikes, what's high, what's low, et cetera?
1: Do you think it's going to work? I just want something that's objective, you know, that we could say – ball or strike, it's clearly understood. You don't have to depend on the nuances of a particular umpire strike zone. What I'm curious to learn is, you know, we see the the rectangle when we're watching the ball game. Are they going to adjust that depending on the size of the hitter? Um, And then are they going to really go from the letters to the knees? I mean, I'm curious to see how they shake that out because that rectangle is going to have to adjust for each player. I wrote
0: a column on my website today about ABS, the strike zone, umpires, et cetera. And I can see in the lower minors where they experimented with this last year and it seemed to work. In the lower minors, your pitchers don't have the full repertoire of stuff. They can throw a fastball, they might throw a slider, maybe a curveball. I think it's easy for computers in the lower minor leagues to be able to say, what's the ball, what's a strike? wouldn't you tell me how the computer is going to hold up to you Darvish throwing seven different pitches from six different arm slots? Mm-hmm. How is it going to hold up with these relievers who throw gas and have jump and bite and their ball starts here and winds up there lickety split? So I, I just don't know if if they're going to overwhelm the computers because of the ability of the pitcher to place the ball certain places or to have the ball jump and have the ball move fascinated to see this, but I don't know that you're taking the human element. I would much rather see the doggone commissioner's office work better to get better umpires to neutralize and maintain a specific strike zone. Because I thought last year, all the games you and I watched, John, I thought it was the worst year of balls and strikes oh, I have ever seen in Major League Baseball. <laughs> horrible. So, if you don't like this, blame it on Angel Hernandez, who I think is the most erratic umpire, and blame it on Rob Manfred. But so do you, do you think the computer will melt down trying to call balls and strikes with you darvish doing all this
1: no I don't think so I think ultimately you know we when we watch it on television we see the rectangle as a two dimensional but because the ball they're gonna to have to create like a three dimensional zone you know over the plate and even if you've got a wicked slider if it just nicks any part of that three dimensional zone that's going to be a strike and to me that should be the right way because that's the way it should be in the rule book and I just Like to see it implemented so it's right, and so we're not getting any of these BS calls that throw the game one way or the other. And there were a lot of BS calls. Okay,
0: we'll talk about that as we go farther along. Let's move to the NBA.
1: Okay, so um, yeah, the the Lakers. And the Clippers are kind of the Southern California teams. We're getting near that trade deadline. So what are you hearing through the grapevine?
0: Both teams are staggering with injuries, despite the heroics of LeBron James, despite the good nights and then the off nights that uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have to play for the Clippers. They're both staggering. And the Lakers are still in last place. Uh, don't adjust your TV screen. There's nothing wrong with your eyesight. Yes, that is the Sacramento Kings that are in first place. The Lakers are in last place in the Pacific Division. Can you <laughs> bleep and believe that? Uh, trade rumors. Lakers Lakers want to hold on to their two future number ones. Uh, if they let Russell Westbrook leave at the end of the year, they're going to have approximately $35 million in free agent cap space. They are talking to Utah about a deal for Mike Conley, the veteran point guard who can still play, got gas left in the tank. They wouldn't give up a number one. They would not trade Westbrook in the deal. What they would do is they would take on the contract of Michael Conley, who's got one more year to run after this season. They'd trade one of the young guards or maybe a guard and a forward and get Conley in here. They could let Westbrook go. They'd still have their picks, and they'd have this block of money to use. So keep that uh, keep that in the equation. Clippers are shopping. Uh, they're looking for help for in, in the big department. Uh, they're now talking to Detroit about a deal of one of their guards, maybe Patrick Beverly and something else, to go to Detroit for their big young backup center, Nerlens Noel. Noel. Uh, there had been talk about Baj Bogdanovich, but Detroit does not want to trade him to anybody, Lakers nor Clippers at this point in time. So I think as we go towards the deadline, which is February 9th, I think both these clubs are going to make some kind of deal, but I don't think it's going to be a blockbuster Westbrook number one draft pick deal. I think the Lakers will trade small and just try to get to next offseason with their picks in their pocket and with cap space.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, no one's going to knock off the mighty Sacramento Kings this year. So, uh yeah, so maybe the Lakers and, and Clippers, maybe they can just sort of get incremental gains, you know, maybe move a, smoo- a, a, a few small pieces on the, on the chessboard. But remember we talked about how the Major League Baseball always has a really exciting tra- uh, trade deadline, and then the NFL lately has been pretty exciting too. Are we going to see some more of that, you know, you know, last-minute rush of deals as we get near the deadline? I think
0: it's harder in the NBA because the whole world is at the salary cap, and I think that's a big, big trouble about moving contracts more than anything else. So I, I think there will be some deals. I don't think there'll be blockbuster name deals because you just can't move. million contracts to the next guy because the next guy's got no cap space and doesn't want to give up draft picks to make those deals happen. Let's talk hockey. This is a really ugly story in the National Hockey League. Uh, That that goaltender Robin Lehner is from Sweden. Uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights star goaltender signed a big money contract. He's filed for bankruptcy. $50 million in debt. He's defaulted on five major loans uh, he's in all kinds of trouble uh, with the government, and I don't know how he works this out because he's only got a $20 million contract. He signed a contract extension last year uh, before he got hurt with Las Vegas, but I was staggered. You see, $50 million bankruptcy for a goaltender that's like 25 years old. How is that humanly possible? <laughs> banks banks would loan volumes of money to a guy from abroad, and then he missed all the payments. I mean, he's from Sweden. I. Maybe in Sweden, they, everything's on a credit card and they don't pay, pay it off. I, it's staggering to see. <laughs> I saw 50 million, it was like it was in neon lights.
1: Yeah, when I saw that number, I was blown away too. But I learned that it has something to do with mostly business-related loans. But usually people will incorporate their business, so there's like a separation, and that protects them at the individual level. But maybe he wasn't doing that. Maybe he's doing all of these crazy loans as a sole proprietor, and that's why he's liable for this gigantic debt. The area code to the
0: state of Delaware, where LLCs were born, mm-hmm. is area code 301. Somebody call Robin Lehner and give that to him. Uh, let's move on. we got soccer to talk about. Boy, oh boy, the story just continues to spin. Team USA, they have yet to come to a contractual agreement with uh, head coach Greg Burhalter. is involved with this family issue that happened in 1991 that has involved Gio Reyna's parents. Reyna is on the outside looking in after his family went public and detailed the Berhalter story of domestic abuse with a woman he was dating who eventually became his wife and now has four kids with her. Gio Reyna, of course, got demoted during the World Cup, played very sparingly for Team USA, uh, got benched, had to apologize to his teammates for poor work habits. His teammates at Dortmund in Germany, where he plays in Europe, just went public on Wednesday and said, everything you said about Gio Reyna is true. Really bad work ethic when he was playing here in Dortmund. And we were surprised it did not change and did not improve. And this whole story spilled out about him with Team USA. And to add on to everything else that's happened, how he acted, what his parents did, how Berhalter has responded, what the U.S. Soccer Federation has yet to do on top of all that, Team USA just announced its January practice squad. They're going to play a couple of friendly matches as they start to come together and put their players in place for what would be 2026. Gio Reyna is not on the team. Wow. He is not on Team USA for these friendlies uh, in January. Interesting name who is on the team. His name is Alejandro Zendejas, young Mexican teenager star by citizenship. He's elected to play for Team USA. He did not play in the World Cup. He elected not to play for Mexico. And Tata Montino, the Mm -hmm. coach, they got run out. Was not chosen here because he wasn't ready to play for Berhalter and Team USA. Zendejas has been invited to join Team USA for the January training camp that opens next week up in Los Angeles, and in play in those uh, friendly games in the month of January. Interesting stories in soccer.
1: Yeah, it is interesting, and you know, Gio Reyna is like really the the hot young player for Team USA. So it just it's just a shame we have all this sort of off the field BS egos that get in the way. We, we just want to see the best athletes on the pitch, but this other nonsense, just you know. Prevents us from seeing who we want. The parents from hell. Yes, for this, sure.
0: This story is is not over. Final story. Pro golf tour has has uh, started. Uh, they'll be here at Tory Pines for the Farmers Insurance Open a week from now. LIV led by Greg Norman about to tee off next week too. Surprise! They have not released the roster of forty eight players that are going to play in the LIV tournaments beginning. A week from now. It's amazing to me, and I don't understand why they have not been able to sign any PGA guys to jump this year like they did last year. You know, John, do you recall when we started our podcast there were thirty PGA guys mm-hmm. led by Mickelson and Dustin Johnson that went abroad to play in the Saudi Super League. At this point they have yet to release the forty-eight roster man roster that will be playing in year two. They finally got a TV deal done. They did not have a TV deal. All they streamed last year were, were their golf tournaments. Nobody watched it. They were like off the radar. Oh, they're playing? Really? Where? <laughs> Who? Uh, they signed a TV deal with the CW network, and you'll be able to watch LIV golf on Channel 6 here in San Diego. Oh. So they they will start that. But it's not like CW is paying volumes of money. The LIV... Is paying them to carry the games and right. they will pay for the production cost and everything. So as as dazzling as it was to think about all these guys that jumped to the LIV, all these marquee names, nobody followed the tournaments, nobody went to the tournaments, nobody watched them on streaming, and there's still no there, there. Uh and now they're gonna ha- they'll be on TV, but they haven't named if anybody else's comments. So. I, I don't know. Are, are you still big time if you're playing abroad and nobody knows that you're playing abroad or nobody's watching you play abroad?
1: Yeah, it's it's weird because um, we all want to see the best athletes competing at the top level, you know, all together in the same tournament. Um, so I I predict this is going to shake out kind of like what happened with the USFL. You know, this is going to eventually dissolve. They'll eventually come back together under the PGA umbrella, but under a new financial agreement where the players feel like they're going to be treated properly, fairly, given the amount of revenue that's coming in on the game. Uh, But yeah, I know this is the the, the LIVs backed by big Saudi money. Doesn't surprise me that they're writing a check to CW to get their content on the air. It's amazing. It's like
0: nobody watched it. Nobody's really interested in it. But the PGA plays at La Quinta this weekend. They play at Torrey Pines next weekend. Okay, want to remind you, we invite you to be part of our fans' forum. You can join us uh, on our live stream. I urge you, please check my website, leehacksawhamilton.com, tonne absolute ton of written information every night every morning I think you'll really enjoy it all right we got people ready to ask questions because i think we got some answers
1: okay here we go so this is from michael duell. he says abs will be determined by how well offenses perform mlb loves their runs and offensive stats
0: mike that's a good point I think we're looking for consistency in balls and strikes. I think that's a piece of this equation. Another thing, and we have not discussed it at length yet, John, and we will as we get to spring training. Another thing is the ban on the shift. Yeah. Now suddenly, suddenly the pitchers are going to be at risk because the shift can't bail them out when guys tattoo balls on the right side of the infield. So I, I don't know how that comes into play here, too. But I think Major League Baseball de- definitely wants some form of consistency uh, with balls and strikes and the zone. Uh, but I, I'm going to be interested to see how this this ABS works when you consider how wicked the stuff pitchers are bringing to home plate and the movement. It's it's just absolutely amazing.
1: Well, I I again like I'm looking forward to it because I want objectivity, not subjectivity. Uh but you would hope that once they lock in on what the strike zone is, that they're not going to be monkeying with it like they monkey with the balls, you know, where they're they're super balls one year and then they're flat balls the next year. So um hopefully when they do this, they do it right and then we don't have to worry about, you know, any any craziness going on with balls and strikes. So we can watch the players play do you think the shift is going to change the game this year? Because I tend to think it oh, will. Oh, radically. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to see batting averages go up at least 20, 30 points for a lot of these players. Okay. Mike, you know? thank you for joining us on Fan Swarm. we got one more in here you want to go to? Yeah, we do. So we got some YouTube comments here. Um, so uh, this is this one here is from the story we did about Justin Herbert, you know, where you, there was something that wasn't right with Justin Herbert in that video and it got so many comments. But here is a good one. This is from Nabe's. He says, Coaching and play calls mixed with routes you know, that's the problem he was implying and he needs to pump fake more plus herbs will throw balls away when he's unhappy with receiver or play calls he will overthrow receivers when unhappy but he doesn't say anything or show his frustration i've watched him for some time now and study people's body language it tells you a lot well i think he's steady and i don't think he gets rattled and he gets knocked around but he's athletic
0: enough to really stay out of harm's way in terms of taking a lot of heavy hits. Did he get sacked a lot? Yeah. Uh, this whole thing is is interrelated. You know, if you can't run the football consistently, that means you're exposing your quarterback a lot more. You got problems on the offensive front, and they had so many injury issues, especially out on the edge. You got problems there too. So, so to me. They're going to have to change their player acquisitions. They, they need a warrior offensive lineman, a run-blocking offensive lineman. They need a tough guy running back. They need more physicality at defensive tackle up front. Um, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with Justin Herbert with the exception of the question I have about the mechanics. His arm slot. Does that need to be changed? You say, well, why would you change somebody who's thrown for 9,500 yards in two years? But if you look at how many passes, he gets batted down. So they'll have to investigate with a new quarterback coach and a new offensive coordinator mechanically where he is. But he is so gifted. I just would hope that they're going to be able to put more better pieces around him. As, as our viewer said, this is all interrelated you got to run the ball you got to pass block uh, you got to have receivers who get separation they're deficient in a few areas that they're going to have to address in the offseason quarterback is not a major problem there that's for certain to me
1: well do you think it was that rib injury he had early in the season and he was wearing the flak jacket could that be what's kind of thrown his mechanics off No, because he got passes
0: knocked down last year. He's always had this this different arm slot to release the football. But it was really pronounced in the Jaguar game. Uh, when you're six foot six and you get seven passes deflected in the line of scrimmage, now part of that might be your offensive linemen are not doing a good enough job to knock those pass rushers down. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if, if they're going to raise their arms, well, then you're going to slug them in the gut and bring those arms down. So that might have been a bit of an issue, but uh, he is so, so gifted. And for him not to get badly hurt in three years, considering how many times he's been exposed to throwing the football. I mean, it's it's pretty impressive, but that's because of his athletic ability. A, sees the field, goes through his progressions, gets the ball out of there pretty quickly. Uh, and then I, I think B, he's so athletic that there is a fear that he can run. I, I view Justin Herbert, and I look at him as a piece of a young John Elway and a piece of the intelligence of Peyton Manning. And a piece of, of, I think, just the overall ability of Tom Brady. I,
1: I think he is a complete, complete package. I mean, could he be like Mike Trout trapped in Anaheim? You know, this elite talent that doesn't have the right package around him. I hope not. We got uh, any more there? Yeah, we do got one more here on the YouTube. And this was... Uh, from the segment about the worst moment in Charger history, um, you know with the game with the Jaguars, and we had so many great comments, people bringing up the the lore of Chargers history. And this one was from Mark Schwartz, and he said the date was December 29th, nineteen seventy nine. One name that will live for will forever ruin my Chargers memory <laughs> is Vernon Perry. LOL. He intercepted Fouts four times. Oilers were missing their franchise quarterback and one of their wide receivers, and they did not have Earl Campbell. You're correct. That That's a pretty low
0: moment at a, a point in time when the Fouts and Air Correale franchise was, many thought, destined to be a Super Bowl team. You know, John and I argued about this last week. Obviously, low moments have to be Dan Fouts, Vern Perry. Low moments, Ice Bowl, Cincinnati. Low moments, Marlon McCree fumble against New England. Low moments, <laughs> Uh, Nate Kading missing all those field goals to let the Jets win a playoff game. And obviously low moments when you lose 27 nothing to a substandard team like Jacksonville and get beat, that's pretty low. But somebody else emailed me through my website and said, Lee, the lowest moment was when the Spanos family took this franchise out of San Diego. That's, that's well said, too. That that was a pretty dark moment in the history of our franchise. I think it's forever impacted the city. I just don't think San Diego is the same sports town now as it was when we had an NFL team that people really loved. And as I've said before, could never forgive Dean Spanos for – turning his back on 55 years of loyalty and going north to Los Angeles. And I'll, I'll tell you, the explosion on social media. I'm <laughs> sure you wrote something. I didn't see it, but I'm sure you did. The explosion on social media, anti-Spanos family. Ah, it's brutal. Right after they lost that game Saturday and Jacksonville continued to Sunday and then into Monday when Staley started throwing assistant coaches off the boat. Just just absolutely
1: nonstop. But uh, yeah, so there have been some dark moments along the way. Yeah, you, what's interesting is you know we're, we're, we're still kind of burned since they moved the team what was it exactly, six years ago on the anniversary. Um, but we had such a great run with the Chargers when you were doing play-by-play in the 90s with Stan Humphries and that, that run was wonderful. But I, I moved to San Diego in 82 to be a student at UC San Diego. And I remember back then, everybody was wearing Charger shirts. I mean, everywhere I drove around town the, the 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 sense of pride in their local team it just really made san diego special um, and just to see what it's turned out to be now it's just a real sad story yeah. I mean, you think back you think back the,
0: the run to the super bowl with the chargers in 94 into 95 and john you mentioned it's one of the first things you ever mentioned when the first time i met you is you could drive through downtown san diego and see all the hotels and they all had lightning bolts Yes, uh, on the sides of buildings. Yeah. And, and the, the business buildings at night were lit. So, uh, this office had lights on like that, and it formed a lightning bolt. It was just absolutely amazing. And to see the thing end the way it did it was just sad. And they've been great moments. My God, any time Coriel and Fouts played, that was a great moment. And, and the run to the Super Bowl under Bobby Ross. And what Schottenheimer did with Rivers and LT and Gates. Oh, that was magical. Didn't get them to the Super Bowl, but boy, they gave us a lot of good football. So I'd, I tend to think, yeah, there were some bad losses along the way, but the night they, that Spano's family decided to invoke the greed rule to go to L.A. for money and turn their back on 55 years of loyalty, That's a pretty dark moment, too. Hey, listen, we thank you for being part of our Thursday podcast. We remind you that we are back here on Monday with a special bonus broadcast. Enjoy yourself. (coughs) Excuse me. Have yourself a great sports weekend. For John Riley, this is Lee Hamilton. Thanks for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. For more content, go to leehacksawhamilton.com.